0: I'm slobo and jingle jesso. Ka kok ka, ka kok ka. Ua ze I'm near in the acute la mia. Upi I'm and jingle jesso. Ka kok ka, There is not a friend like the lowly Jesus, no not one. I am so glad that Jesus has been my friend. Amen. And with that chorus, I want to introduce to you the message that God has laid on my heart tonight. It is about a dimension that we can live and move in, and I call this message "My Friend, My Friend." I want to read in John chapter fifteen. If you have your Bibles, would turn with me. I'd be very glad. John chapter 15, I'm going to read three verses, 13, 14, and 15. Hallelujah. You know, I've been trying to preach for, well, it was 43 years in May. I've never yet learned how. I've tried hard to work for the Lord and walk with Him, and I was doing it all the hard way until just about ten years ago, and the Lord opened up to me a dimension I am so anxious to share with His children. John 13, 14, 15: Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servant, for the for the servant knoweth not what his lord doeth. But I have called you friends. Notice that line, I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. When I was first saved, I told the Lord I wanted to be his love slave. And I never did find anything that was too much trouble to do for Jesus. I still haven't found anything that's too much trouble to do for him. And I worked hard for him, and always considered myself his servant, and I still do. Don't misunderstand me. But uh, over in Africa, servants are a necessary nuisance. With five children, when we went to Africa, our children were nine, seven, five, two, and six months old when we went to Africa. Three of them had whooping golf on the boat going over, so we hooped it up across the Atlantic. And... Uh, it was, uh, 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 there was no convenience, not even a washing machine, and so we had to have service. And they had some peculiar customs. They called it cheap labor. Well, after a few months, I decided it wasn't so cheap when you consider how much they broke and wasted. And looking at them, it was awfully hard to even call it labor. But anyway, they were still necessary and they had this little custom that in the middle of the morning in the middle of the afternoon they wanted hot tea and every day every morning middle of the morning middle of the afternoon the servant would come i'll call her aggie aggie was one that i had a long procession of them she would come and say madam may i please have some milk for my tea and i said oh aggie I trust you, just go to the refrigerator, open the door, take out the bottle and pour some milk in your tea. I didn't want to leave my work. Oh, no, madam, I'm only the servant. I couldn't do that. And so I'd have to leave my work and go pour a dab of milk in Aggie's tea, and that had to be done twice a day. One day just after I got Aggie with milk in her tea and started back upstairs to continue with my work that I was involved in, I looked back and saw my son come in. He opened the refrigerator door and took out a bottle. And without benefit of a glass, he just turned it up. <laughs> and something happened to me that day, I thought. Now he doesn't say, please, Mommy. And every time Aggie asked me for milk, she acted like I was going to refuse if she didn't just really put a pleading tone in her voice. But Dale didn't say, please, Mommy. He was a son in that house, and he helped himself. And that day I realized that I am a child of God. I am still a servant, but I'm also a child, and there's a lot of things I can help myself to. I have a little feeling, a conviction, that healing is the children's bread. Well, Jesus said it was their bread. And and that means you can help yourself. You know, we have got things a little bit out of perspective. We're always hunting somebody to pray the prayer of faith for us. I believe there's an awful lot of things that you could just take because he loves you. You're his child. You belong to him. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. I don't know where it is, but somewhere around here there's a bottle of oil. Yeah, here it is. I want to tell you something about this oil. Do you know what the Lord told me one day? He said that most people 99 and 9 tenths percent of them that come up here to be prayed for are healed. But they start back and they say, oh, I still got the pain, I guess it didn't get me healing. They choose to trust the pain instead of the greatest name in heaven and in earth. And the oil that we use in command, direct obedience to the command of the word of God. Next time you come to be prayed for, say that. Don't come up and say, Brother Cox, will you please pray for me? Or just come here and stand. Say, Brother Cox, I have come to be healed. (laughs) Makes a difference. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. (laughs) Because you're a child, you can help yourself. Glory to God. He promised an abundance grace to us as a gift. You help yourself to that grace. He's not going to grab you and force it down you like cast oil. You just take it, what you need. Oh, hallelujah, because you're a child. But there's another dimension that's even better. Brother Freeman found this about five years before I did. And I could not understand. You know, he would say such things as, uh, well, I'll talk to my friend about that. Well, I've got a friend. I mean, you know, Jesus is my friend. I've sung What a Friend We Have with Jesus and Friendship with Jesus. Oh, What Joy Divine All My Life and uh, and a few others that mention being a friend of Jesus and that's wonderful. But, uh, I mean, what's this all about? I don't understand. So he explained it to me. But I still didn't understand. And as a good wife, I would see things going wrong in some of the churches we supervise and I'd say, "Uh, that young preacher over there is getting out of line. And uh, Brother Freeman said... Oh, it'll be all right now. I said, well, I didn't see you talking to him. No, but I talked to my friend. So I had him to explain it all to me again, but I still didn't understand. But the day the revelation came to me, we, now I work now for 23 years, we were just missionaries in South Africa. Now we don't belong to South Africa any more than we do to all of them. We travel up and down. We live out of suitcases on both sides of the world. We have uh, 12 months in the year deputation, God. Uh, and it's great because it's God's will, and I, and I am not finding fault or grumbling. I thank God for the privilege and the ability Hallelujah. and the strength that he gives and his abundant grace. Hallelujah. And, uh, but we got in a hot spot. Now, we have six or seven shooting wars going on any time over there, and we happened to get in the wrong country at the right time, or maybe it was vice versa. I don't know, but uh, we were really in danger, and I hit the panic button. Who did it? Who Oh God! Oh, God! oh! It we're never going to make it. And I felt a hand on my shoulder. I guess I'm a little bit dumb. The Lord has to get my attention, and and there's no hand there to be seen, but I feel it. And I said, Yes, Lord. And He said, uh, Remember me. I'm your friend. I made you a solemn promise that I would be with you all the way even unto the end of the world. And why are you having hysterics? Well, Jesus, it's like this. We're in danger. Uh, We're we're not going to get out of here alive. He said, all right, you've told me about it. Now, what do you want me to do? Oh, that's nice. (laughs) What do I want him to do? Well, I suggested firing brimstone.
1: You know, (laughs) I I
0: thought that would be the only way that it could be handled. And he said... uh, that won't be necessary. You've told me about it now, and you are uh, surely you begin to understand that I am your friend. Why don't you commit this to me, and you wait calm and peaceful until I handle the situation? And for the first time in my life, in a situation of danger, real danger, I relaxed, and I was calm, and it was wonderful, and the next thing I knew it was all over. The Lord got us out of there so slick that I couldn't believe it. I mean, it it just, in a way, I could have never dreamed of. He made a way, hallelujah, and ever since that day, he has been my friend. And I have a a deep desire to help God's children understand you have a friend. You are carrying a lot of loads, that your friend has paid a terrible price that he could handle those loads. But what do we do? We bring our burdens to the Lord, like the old song says, but we don't leave them there. When we leave the place of prayer, we get up still worrying and still, I used to be a world's number one worry wart. And I tell you, it took a miracle to ever change me to learn how to live in trust and in true peace and let my friends handle everything for one thing just there's there's so much of our life that we try to worry with ourselves we're not going to bother the lord with it and in the meantime he wants us to share with him everything instead of you trying to rattle it through turn it over to your friend he wants to handle it oh hallelujah you know uh well, at the conference, one conference recently, I had two of my daughters there. That was so nice. Uh, but I remembered back, you know, when they were growing up, those mother-father sounds that parents have to make, you know, like, Linda, mother said, fold the clothes. When are you going to do what you're told to do? Dale, daddy said, cut the grass, boy. You better get out there and get that grass mowed. You know how it goes. Sandra, <laughs> for goodness sake, honey, your room looks like a disaster area. Get in there and clean up that room. You know, that's the way you have to talk to kids. But now here, I sat at a table. I, I'm a board meeting widow at conferences. Brother Freeman sits as an advisor to the general board and the missionary board, so I don't see a lot of him at conferences. But I got to go out with my daughters, and, and we'd talk about their services. And I didn't say, Sharon, did you get your room cleaned up? Or Sandra, go fold the clothes. They're still my daughters, but they have grown up. And we talk together as friends. You see, there's an awful lot of God's children that's still acting like little old kids, and it's high time we grew up to be his friends and operate with him as a friend. Now look, I've never had the privilege before of being in the home with Brother and Sister Cox, but I already feel like I have known them all of my life. And if I were to be traveling alone, which I I did for thirty-eight thousand miles last year in five months here in the states, I don't know what it's going to be this year, but I sure got a good start. Uh, And uh, but say, for instance, I was traveling alone and had a breakdown somewhere near here, I wouldn't hesitate a moment. I'd call please Brother Cox, please. and I'd say, Brother Cox, I've had a breakdown. Won't you come and help me? And I know what he thinks. say. he Sister Freeman, we'll be there. Just where are you? Tell me. And as soon as I told him, I will be there shortly. Amen. But then I'd let him get three feet away from the phone, and I'd dial that number again, and I'd say, Please, Brother Cox, won't you come and help me? I've had a breakdown. Well, Sister Freeman, we were on our way. And I'd let him get to the front door, and then I'd dial the number again. Please, 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 Brother Cox, broke down, come and help me. Now, that's the way we treat the Lord. We act like he's short of memory, like we are, and hard of hearing, and we nag him. We don't treat him like a friend. You see, you don't treat friends like that. You know, one of the first things that the Lord did to me after I said, "All right, Jesus, from here on you're my friend. I'm going to walk with you as a friend," and it was just a short while after that I was down on my knees praying. Oh Lord, I bring to you again this request I've been praying for for 13 years. Yes, Lord. I said, and I heard you the first time. You, you, you heard me the first time, Lord. He said, didn't you ever read in my word that my eyes run to and fro through the earth, seeking those that are upright in heart that I may shew myself strong and mighty in their behalf? I don't forget a request and I hear even the slightest whisper in your heart that it isn't even expressed. I hear. You don't have to nag me to get an answer. Good. Good. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, you, Lord. Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, I could see myself running out of things to pray for. You know, if I can only ask once. So I said, Jesus, teach me how to pray. And he said, what I want you to do is to ask me and then just thank me. Ask me one time and do me the honor of acting like I'm listening because I am. And then you just thank me until the answer comes. We have gotten some kind of twisted idea that if I can just ask him enough time, I can persuade him to do it. You know what the Lord told me? He said, you keep on asking because you don't believe. If you believe me, you would ask me one time. And then every time you think about it, you would just praise me. That's all. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me tell you, you know, missionaries' children and preachers' children are all the same. They have to make their own choices. You cannot choose salvation for your children. You can hope for it, believe for it, pray for it, admonish it, but you cannot make their choice for them. And my oldest daughter grew up helping us in the mission work. What a blessing she was, musically talented, and she was such a blessing. And She and her husband and her baby moved to Houston, Texas, a town of many churches, and backslid. And I cried almost without stopping for two years. And one morning, four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning, God spoke to me and said, You are grieving me. Lord, how could I be grieving you? I'm just weeping over my lost girl. He said, Wouldn't it be better to thank me and praise me and let me save her? Well, I was so in this groove of moaning and groaning and crying and grieving that I didn't know how to do anything else. I, and I didn't do anything right then, but I had visitors coming just after Sunday school and I had got up early and fixed dinner for them. After I had to quit praying. I went and worked on the dinner, had everything ready, and then they were leaving right after dinner. And then I said to Brother Freeman, I'm going to go down to the church and I'm going to get this matter settled. I've got to. I just can't uh, do anything else. And uh, I said, you, I may be there at church time, but uh, I've got to today. This has got to be set I I can't carry this load any further. And I went to the church and I locked the door, locked myself in and I got a box of Kleenex and made myself real comfortable. Now I'm gonna sit down and just really, I I sat down to pray. I got real comfortable because I was in for a long siege, I thought. And then the Lord trapped me. (laughs) I'd never prayed that way. So he, he just took my tongue and prayed the way he wanted me to pray. And it was not what I had thought, but this is what he prayed through me. I hardly got fixed before he, I heard myself saying, Lord, if today you'll give me the assurance that you're going to save Sandra, I'll never ask you to save her again. I'll never shed another tear. I won't worry anymore. I will praise you until it happens. Mm -hmm. And then he answered himself. And he said, I will save her. He told me three things that were going to happen. I mean, it was God. It wasn't me. It was God well i prayed for the service and i prayed for some folks that i knew needed prayer and uh, I, i prayed for what i could think of and then the spirit of prayer was gone so i went back home so brother freeman said that didn't take you very long i said as a matter of fact it was settled in less than a minute it didn't even take a minute to get it settled and here i had been groaning and moaning and crying for two years almost without stopping and some of you are looking at me so funny. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. Holy I God. have put it into operation this way of walking with Him as my friend. And I have never seen so many prayers answered in all of my life. My baton average is higher than it's ever been on seeing prayers answered. Woo! Glory yes. to God. And. Uh, I've learned the secret. Well, let me go back to Sandra. I started praising the Lord. I'll give you some dates on this so you'll know how long it was. That prayer meeting that I'm talking about happened in 1962. Sandra left us in Africa in in 1960, and this happened in 1962. Well, in 65, we came home on fire, and I thought, well, now it's got to happen now. Uh, But uh, the Lord uh, had reminded me that I've got to keep what I promised. Now, I didn't really promise it with my full will. He had to get me, kind of uh, force me to promise it. Uh, He kind of, you know, uh, shanghaied me (laughs) to, to promise that I would never grieve again, never cry again, not worry anymore. And here she comes to meet me, that chopped off bleached hair, painted face, pants, everything. And the first thing, oh. And the Lord said, watch it, watch it. Remember, if I'm going to save her, what have you got to feel bad about? Oh, that I just brightened up and uh, instead of crying and feeling bad I just put my arms around her and sabotaged her in the Holy Ghost. I kissed those painted lips and said honey you're the sweetest daughter any mother ever had. I love you more than you'll ever know. In my heart I'm saying hallelujah, hallelujah this is the way you look now but this is not the way it's going to stay. Thank you Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. hallelujah. <laughs> and, uh, you know one of the things that finally brought Sandra to the Lord was she said you know mother every time I was around you you were just bubbling over with joy and you were so happy and I thought well here I am going to hell, and my mother don't even care, I better do something. You see, that's what is with all of us. We get around our family that's lost, and people that are doing ugly things, and we feel so bad, you know, we just know they're on the wrong road, and we just feel so bad. And we communicate those kind of vibes, we make that kind of atmosphere, this grieved atmosphere, and they look at us and think, well, if that's salvation, I don't want any of it, I don't want to feel sad like that. They don't realize that they're the cause of you feeling sad. And in the first place, you're not supposed to be feeling sad because God's going to take care of it. What are you sad about? What have you got to worry about? Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. So I just... Uh, well, it didn't happen in 65. I went back to Africa praising God, and I just kept on praising him. The Lord told me she's going to move back to Africa. And I asked her in 65, I said, Honey, have you ever thought about y'all moving back to South Africa? She said, Never. i told Fred if he goes, Fred was in South Africa, I'll divorce him. We have uh, just... Let me set the record straight in case you're wondering. We have five million white people in South Africa. We have a white district down there.
1: Yeah.
0: Yep. And this young man was a member of that district. And uh, so I, I, she said, what are you smiling about, Mother? I said, nothing. I'll tell you later. And, uh, and so what I'm smiling about is because the Lord has already told me they're going to move back to South Africa. And when she phoned me to tell me in 1969 that they were thinking about moving back to South Africa, I said, yeah, that's what I thought. She said, you thought? She said, I never wrote it, did I? I said, no, but I just got an idea that that's what she was going to do. <laughs> and she said, well, we only made our decision two weeks ago. I said, really? And I didn't say anything else. <laughs> well, they moved back and promptly moved 800 miles away to get away from the church. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. hallelujah. The day I did have a little problem praising the Lord was the day that they spanked their kids and made them go with them to leave just as our conference started and the kids was crying and begging to stay for church. And for just a minute there, you know, I nearly got. And then I thought, no, 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 no. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, glory to God. Let them move to the South Pole. You'll still find them there. Hallelujah. I had to the promise There's no need to worry about it anymore. And the Lord had told me not to pray, not to ask him, not to grieve, not to cry. Hallelujah. He said, I can't do that. Yeah, and you may never see it done either. This, I'm, I'm telling you a new way. It's not the way that we have been doing it. Yeah but it's walking with Jesus as my friend. Hallelujah. Yeah. Oh, glory to God. Well, 1971. They'd move back next door. Uh, and Brother and Sister Weeks came over to preach our first conference on our new campground for the White District in South Africa. And he's known Sandra all of her life. And he said, Sandra, are you going to come and hear me preach? She said, no, Brother Weeks. We're taking our children on those fishing holidays. You know, it's the school holidays. And we think we should do something for our children. In the meantime, the kids was again begging to go to the conference. And the kids were standing there. And they said, we don't want to go fishing. We want to go to the conference. And uh, so I knelt down by him, and I said, now you go fishing with your mama and your daddy, and you come back and tell Grandma how many fish you caught and how much fun you had. And I looked up and saw that puzzled expression on her face. (laughs) And then I didn't show anything on the outside, but inside I kind of giggled a little bit because I thought, yeah, the Lord knows just how to get to her. Uh, And then it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained. And out on the campground, we were having an awful time with new-made roads and mud. Uh, And I I thanked the Lord for the mud, and I thanked him for the rain. And we had much water coming down out of the sky and our well went dry and here we got 500 people there in the water except what was falling down out of the sky well we were catching as much of that as we could and I just keep on praising the Lord and I went home to get some supplies that had been forgotten and here was Sandra and I said well honey what happened to your fishing trip she said "Mother, these kids has got every stick they took with them with and I had to bring them back and do you know that not one dryer on this hill will work and of course all the commercial dryers were, were closed the laundromats were all closed over the weekend uh, and uh, so here she was with wet clothes strung everywhere and the kids got around and said grandma our church clothes is not wet so we're going to get to come after all <laughs> and they were just giggled but I still didn't say one word just went on my way praising the Lord and on Sunday she decided to come out and help her sister who's a preacher's wife with her turn in the kitchen and got out there and had so much help in the kitchen that there wasn't even room for her to get in there uh, so she had no place to go and nothing to do but go to the tent and Brother Carpenter was given a Bible lesson and she thought well a Bible lesson won't do anything too." me, so I'll go sit in the back. And halfway through his Bible lesson, she had on a white dress. He said he just looked up and saw a white streak coming from the back seat. And when we, we had, of course now, with our setup in South Africa, we have three conferences going at the same time, scattered over an area of 20 miles. And Brother Freeman and I have to go from one to the other. And that Sunday morning, we had to be at another conference. But when we got back, my oldest little granddaughter come running out. She says, oh, Grandma, she was just crying. Why weren't you here? Grandma, it's not right that she wasn't here. I said, honey, what in the world's wrong? She said, Grandma, it's not wrong. It's right. My mama got the Holy Ghost, and now we can get the Holy Ghost, too. (laughs) Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Now, the third thing that the Lord promised me has come true, that she would be a blessing to everyone who meets her, and that's happening right now. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Jesus. Now, you see, when you are worrying and fretting and grieving, you are working against faith when you begin to praise God for that situation and for your problem and for your heartache, uh, then the Lord begins to work on it. Hallelujah. And everything changes. Oh, glory to God. My friend. Hallelujah. (laughs) I've changed my way of praying. I've changed my way of thinking. In James chapter 2, verse 19, says that Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. And Abraham was called the friend of God. And I read it in your hearing that he said, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. And he paid an awful price to make us his friends. Now he's been a friend to us all the way through. But we haven't done so good at being a friend to him. Even serving him, we act like he's a stranger. Or a potentate way off somewhere, a God not near at hand but far away. He is your friend and wants to walk with you every day. And whatever happens to you, uh, all I was so proud of myself that these ten years of coming back to the States every year that uh, I didn't get a ticket. Uh, I I try to be careful with my driving. I mean, I try to observe the speed limit and I didn't notice that they had reduced the limit. I mean, I had it plugged in, cruise control on 55, going on down the road, but the only problem was there was a sign there that said road repairs, uh, reduce your speed to 45 and I didn't see that. Oh, to 40, reduce it to 40. So here's the guy with the flashing lights. Thank you, Jesus, for that fellow with the flashing lights. And then I realized I'm into the road repairs by then. There was no place for me to stop. And so he had to drive. on. He drove on the other side. He didn't have to do what he did, but he did. Uh, He drove on the other side of me flashing his lights at me for five miles before I could get to a place to stop. And I said to Brother Freeman, do you suppose he's going to make me pay some money too? He's already punished me. <laughs> uh, but now, I don't know what's good about that. Maybe it was just to make me more careful in the future. I don't know. But I'm thanking my friend. Thank you, friend. Well, here I am. I've I've done it. <laughs> I, I hope not to do this, but I've done it. Thank you, friend. I've done it. I've made a mistake. Uh, you forgive me, Lord, and, and you help me. And I don't know what Brother Freeman told him, but it didn't cost us anything. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jesus. I guess, as I say, he thought we'd already been saved. We've suffered enough, but you see, whatever happens, what I'm telling you, whatever happens, you talk to your friend, and then you leave it in his hands. Now, uh, sometimes we don't talk to our friend. I love to sew, and I generally have a little sewing machine in the back of the car. Got one back there right now. <laughs> I hadn't had not had the same chance to get it out for several days, but anyway, it's there, and there will be a chance down the road somewhere. I've got a few things that's partly done and needs mending or altering. And, uh, but because that I, I like to sew, and I feel sorry for somebody that doesn't have a sewing machine, I'm always giving them away. You know, I've done that several times. So uh, the one time that I really get, that I get to spend two weeks in one place is when we have the School of Missions, which is every year just after the General Conference, and, and then we don't have any services or anything in the afternoon, so from three o'clock in the afternoon till six o'clock, I've got time to sew. And uh, so I began to say, well, the School of Missions is coming up, and I just gave away my sewing machine. Oh, dear. Uh, and Bud Freeman's got some things that needs changing, some, uh, you know, alterations, and, and here I am without a sewing machine. But it didn't about it and we were up in Canada in Winnipeg and three o'clock in the morning I woke up and the room was just just a glow almost with the spirit of God I didn't see it but I felt it and I said oh friend I'm so glad you've come to see me it's so beautiful that you would just come in the room like this and when I'm sleeping and wake me up and I wake up to your presence and I began to talk to him and he began to talk to me and then after a while he said there's something you need and you didn't ask for it I thought you had learned. Well, friend, I wasn't sure if it was a need or just a want, but really it is a need. I do need a sewing machine. He said, all right, what kind do you want? I said, well, that little singer genie is mighty neat. It's portable and it's lightweight. He said, fine. When do you want it? I said, well, you know, this is uh, like uh, Wednesday morning early. Uh, I mean, and the the school mission starts this coming Monday, so I really need it uh, by Monday if possible. He said, all right. He said, and next time, go ahead and ask. I'm always listening. Well, we got to, you know, that night, we were at a home mission church in Canada. We already preached at the big church. And then Thursday night, we were down in Minnesota at at a, a big church. Oh, man, a very big church, but they were in a remodeling program and rebuilding and so forth and and uh, so nobody came up and said sister freeman is there something you need and and uh, then uh, uh, friday night we were in a home mission church now i can't remember if the pastor had ten children and eight members or eight children and ten members but it wasn't very many and uh well saturday night was off night sunday morning we were at st. paul at the big church but they were in a tremendous building and remodeling program and the devil leaned over my shoulder and you believe he keeps up with us because he told me something I didn't even know. Yeah. He said, "You're going to be at a home mission church tonight. They're remodeling here. Home missions church tonight. You can forget about that sewing machine." I said, enemy! You know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna thank God again. Thank you, Jesus, for that genie. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Thank you for it, Lord. Well, that that morning, after the Lord spoke to me when we were having breakfast, I told Brother Freeman, "I'm gonna get my genie." He said, "You're gonna get your what?" I said, oh, "I said my genie, my sewing machine." And so, on the platform there at St. Paul, I just thanked the Lord. I put up my hands and said, "Thank you, Jesus, for my sewing machine." Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I don't know where it's gonna come from. You may find it by the side of the road, but i know it's going to come and I thank you for it Lord hallelujah uh, and uh, forgot about it well when we got to the preacher's home that afternoon Brother Freeman explained look we can't stay there not to spend the night with you we'll have to drive on immediately after church because we've got to get all the way to Carlinville Illinois and that's a long way so as soon as we preach we'll hit the road my wife tonight Al she drives half the night fine she will drive till about 3 o'clock in the morning get a motel and get a little sleep and then get up and go on and be there by 5 o'clock Monday evening we can do it that way so the lady said well you better lay down rest a little while. So I went, I laid down. We laid down, rested a little bit, and beforehand she seemed all right. But when I got up, I never saw anybody so nervous in my life. I thought, well, what in the world is wrong with this lady? And uh, I wanted to help her, so finally she said, Mr. Freeman, you've got to help me. I said, well, I would be glad to uh, if you will tell me what you need. She said, well, I'm not close enough to the Lord. I said, welcome to the club. I don't know if any of us can say, now, I have now attained, I am now close enough to the Lord. And She said, but you don't understand. Uh, the Lord told me to buy something for you, and I'm not close enough for him to tell me what it is, and I'm ready to buy it up to $300. You just tell me what it is. I said, well, you'll get some change back because it only costs 219 <laughs> <laughs> Lord. Crazy. Well, that's what's in the back of my car. <laughs> that little genius. Thank you. My friend, oh, hallelujah, Amen. my friend. But now look, so many of us, we spend all of our time in, in a sort of a one-way conversation, you know? Uh, we just get out on our knees and we start praying. Here we go without a pause, without a break. And then uh, when we get through, we say amen and we're gone. Now, say, for instance, there was somebody that you've done a lot for, a worthy person, and you were in a position to help them and you're going to do a lot more for them. And, but they should uh, phone you on the telephone and talk to you. And they say, hello there. I just want to talk to you a little bit and thank you for all the many things you've done to me. You've just been so wonderful. And I appreciate you so much. I love you so much and you are really wonderful and I thank you for all of it. And there's a few other things that I need. I need this and I need that. And I sure would appreciate if you did for me and do that for me. Well, goodbye now. Sure, nice talking to you and hang up and you never had a chance to say a word. Well, that's the way we do the Lord. You see, in Adam, we lost communion with God. Oh, God. Communion with God was lost there. And he came to the cross to give it back to us. And here we are living our little lives without the communion and the friendship that he died for us to have. You know, if you remember the prophet Elijah up on the mountain, after he was depressed. Oh God, there's so much depression in among us, Pentecostal people today, that's absolutely pitiful. Uh, and people don't get a prescription from the doctor for their depression. Instead of getting closer to God, which you take care of it? Praising God is the best cure for depression that I know of. And it will cure any case of it. If you'll learn to praise God, just spend as much time as you spend going to the doctor and waiting in his office, praising God. Praise. And it'll be a whole lot cheaper and work a whole lot quicker and no after effects and no side effects. Hallelujah. Oh God. Threw that in for good measure. Yeah. Well, after Elijah got through walling in his depression, I'm the only one left. There nobody else is keeping the standard. I'm the only one left. The Lord said, get up and get on the mountain. He got up there, and I mean things was happening up there. The, the rocks was breaking up, and there was an earthquake, and there was a wind rolling the rocks around. I've been at that mountain, and there's no trees up that high. There's no trees anywhere on it, but at the bottom or at, at the top. Uh, but there was something burning. Maybe it was rocks. I don't know, but there was a fire there, too. And it said God was not in the fire. God was not in the earthquake, and God was not in the wind. But then there came a still, small voice, and that was God. Hallelujah. And I picked up a Hebrew Bible one day that had been paraphrased into English. And it sa- there for that it said, there came the sound of gentle stillness. And that's the way my friend talks. The sound of gentle stillness. And somebody will come up and say, but Sister Freeman, I don't know whether it's God or the devil talking to me. Bless your heart, honey. That book says his sheep know his voice. Yes. But I can give you a few guidelines. The devil always accuses and threatens and blames and discourages. And the Lord does not. Even if he has to reprove you, he will just make you feel kind of hollow inside, kind of empty and that means, let me go back. Oh, it happens to me. I'm not speaking to you as one tonight who has attained perfection. I've just have found something in God's Word, and I'm reaching for it. And I want you to start reaching for it. This is a better way to live. God's people are getting old and ugly without really needing to. There's no need for us to worry ourselves and fret ourselves into such a state that, uh, that all these marks show on our face. Not supposed to be. Hallelujah. He came to carry the load. He's your friend too. He wants to be your friend but he will not be and he cannot be till you start treating him like a friend. Oh, hallelujah. He wants you to act if he's your friend act like it. Some of us just see us walking down the street we look like we haven't got a friend of any kind left. We're a bad advertisement for him. We ought to be bubbling all the time. We ought to be shining all the time. We ought to be glowing all the time. Sister Freeman, how can we do that? I can tell you one just very simple praise the Lord don't save all your praising God to do at the church Praise Him. you know I drive down the road just praising God as hard as I can I have learned to praise the Lord uh, listen let me if you are suffering uh, from leanness of the soul and a lack of joy and glory in your heart let me prescribe that three times a day you praise God for 30 minutes without stopping it'll change your whole outlook on life. I go around, grin, around grinning like an idiot most of the time. I don't care whether people uh, wonder about it, feel bad about it, or don't like it, or irritate them, or, or what. But uh, that glory of the Lord, that joy of the Lord, is just bubbling in my heart. Oh, hallelujah. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And people, there's people that just live from service to service, try to get a little blessing to drag them through a few more days till they can get back and get another little blessing. And we've got the cart before the horse. We're supposed to be moving in the power of the Holy Ghost all the time. Whatever you're doing, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'll never forget when I was a little girl nine years old and my mother just, we just got in Pentecost. God healed my mother when she'd been an invalid for seven years and 14 doctors had said that she'd die within six months time. And the Methodist preacher, oh, I didn't, oops, I didn't mean to say the name. Uh, her pastor came and prayed for her that God would give her the courage to die bravely and provide a mother for her children when she has gone. But the Pentecostal people came and prayed for her, and God healed her. Oh, hallelujah, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And they taught my mother to praise God all the time. It is not just only giving thanks in everything give thanks. It's giving thanks always for all things. That book says that. I'm not going to repeat, if you don't have this book, Adventures of, I mean, Bugging on the go, in this book I tell about Brother Freeman was nearly killed in an accident in Kenya. I didn't know where he was. I didn't know what was happening to him. I didn't know if anybody was helping him or taking care of him. And I couldn't get to him. And the Lord said, I want you to praise me. You're not to pray for him at any time. You are to praise me. And I praised God until God brought him through when the doctor said he could not live. When the doctor said he'd lost so much blood, nine and a half hours without any medical treatment whatsoever, they said not only would he not live, but if he lived, his left arm would be completely useless. And I just kept on praising the Lord, <laughs> and the Lord brought him through. I have found out that praises to God is the most powerful thing in this world, but don't think when you just said hallelujah that you've done it. You've got to, it's like painting the wall. You don't dip the brush in or the roller in one time and give a swipe and say, I painted the wall. Oh, no, you keep on dipping. And then you give it two or three coats sometimes. All right, every situation in your life needs to be coated with praise two or three times, four or five times. 13 and 15 it says by him that means by jesus christ of course therefore offer the sacrifice of praise continually that is the fruit of your lips giving thanks unto god now it's no sacrifice to praise god when you're feeling good and your prayer's just been answered and everything's going fine Uh, that's no sacrifice to praise god then but when everything's going wrong and you feel like falling down on the floor and, and kicking and screaming and bawling and squalling and then you praise god that's a sacrifice and you're supposed to do that continually. That means all the time, doesn't it? Yes. And that's what I preach to those precious people. And there's one lady there who is a princess, Sister Sophie. And she came up to me after church and she said, Oh, Sister Freeman, thank you, thank you, you've given me my answer i said i did i still was kind of feeling bad i wanted to preach something stupendous you know that was really help them and and, uh, i didn't think what i preached did or would Uh, but she said you know my husband's been in jail for a long time and they're now threatening to put me in jail and i know what to do now i'll go to jail praising god that was some February 76, November 76, we had our first world conference in Jerusalem, and we managed to get Brother Techley, our national leader, out. And I met him in Jerusalem, and I ran to him. I said, oh, Techley, tell me quickly, did they put Sister Sophie in jail? He said, come sit down, Sister Freeman. I'll tell you all about it, just like she told me to. Yes, when they came to get her, they wouldn't let her take her little case that she had her Bible in and just one change of clothes. They said, you can take a toothbrush and a hairbrush and a bar of soap and a face cloth, and that's all. And she got that in a little paper bag and they took her and put her in this jail and she went in the jail praising the Lord and in 15 minutes everything she took in with her was stolen. Thank you Jesus my toothbrush is gone. Hallelujah. Thank you Lord my comb my brush is gone. Thank you Lord my soap is gone and she just kept on praising the Lord and then one of those women come up to her and said how can you praise God like that in this place? Don't you know that there's no hope of us ever getting out? We can't call for a lawyer. There's no trial. There's nothing. The only thing that'll happen next is we'll be carried out of here feet first and how can you praise God? She said honey I got the Holy Ghost in my heart and I can praise God and, I, and I'm praising him for this jail. I'm praising him for being in here. I'm in here for a purpose. I'm in here for a reason. Ooh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, that woman said, pray for me. So she prayed for her and began to give her the scriptures and prayed with her and she got the Holy Ghost. And so then those two began to witness to others, and they prayed. I don't know how many people got the Holy Ghost in that prison cell. They were packed in there so tight that there was no room for them even all to sit down at one time. No one could ever lay down unless one got desperately ill. They, some more others would stand instead of taking their turn sitting to let one lay down. They were crammed in there like sardines, and there were no facilities and no beds. And she praised the Lord and she just kept praising him and she kept praising him. And when a bunch of folks got the Holy Ghost there, she's looking around for new worlds to conquer. She went over to this little hole in the door and yelled out, Hey, you out there? You think everything's hopeless? You think this is the end of the world and you're 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 despondent and you don't know whether there's anything that could ever help. But let me tell you what helps. I want to tell you what will help. There is hope. His name is Jesus. And she began to, to preach to the people, give them the scriptures. She had them in her head, though they didn't let her take her Bible. And she taught them to pray and she heard them burst out speaking in other tongues, in another cell. She said, now then, uh, uh, tell the people on the other side of you and you keep praising the Lord. And, uh, oh, she was very happy about that. Well, uh, finally, after she had been in jail for four and a half months, what would you have done if you'd been in her place? You'd have cried because you couldn't cry anymore, wouldn't you? I would. I mean, I, I'm honest. I, 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 I'm I, 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 I wouldn't have done what Sister Sophie, though it was the message that God gave me that gave her the courage to do it. But she has been my inspiration ever since. And finally, after four and a half months, the jailer come down the hall one day, and he jerked open the door, and he said, You, Sophie! Ever since you've been in my jail, you've made shambles out of the place. I used to have a nice, quiet, orderly jail. And now everywhere I go, it's hallelujah, hallelujah, glory to God, glory to God, praise God, praise God. I can't stand it. You're driving me crazy. You get out of my jail and don't you ever come back. <laughs> hey, come on. She was happy to agree with that. I to do that. Uh, but last year, when Brother and Sister Tinny and Brother Freeman another miracle under this communist government just let me first say this they called brother techley in and they said you've come out of the homes you quit having services in homes and build churches he said we don't have any land for services they said well we'll give you land the communist government gave us land to build churches in ethiopia and the the headquarters church was uh, was contributed to by churches in america and the people came uh, that could brother and sister Tenny went, brother and sister Harris went, sister Wendell and brother Freeman were all there a year, a month ago. I mean, a year ago this month, they were there for the dedication of that church. I'm sure you may hear brother Tenny tell about it, but I'm going to tell you a little bit of it myself. And brother Tenny said, brother Freeman, brother Harris, I want to talk to sister Sophie. I want to hear her report. And sister Sophie stood and told them how that she stood in the jail and just let the word of God flow over her body. She said, I would just stand. And you know, I'd never thought about that. But I've learned to sit in that car and just let the word of God flow over my soul uh, to quicken me and refresh me uh, uh, and to give me answers to things that I don't know how to answer. Uh, And she said she would stand there and just let God's word flow over her. And one day she was standing like that. The scriptures kept coming to her along this line. Anything you ask in my name, I will do. Whatever you ask in my name, it shall be done. And she thought, Lord, you're trying to tell me something. At that time, they were supposed to have brought them water, kept them plenty of water, but they had had no water in several days. She said her tongue was so swollen in her mouth that she couldn't even close it. And here, standing there, God's word flowing over her, she said, I know what to do. She pointed towards the door. Water, I don't know where you are, but in Jesus' name, bring us some water. And it was just a few minutes and the water was there they were supposed to take them out twice a day for exercise and they would forget it for weeks and she was standing with her muscles cramping and she thought well i know what to do about that she said water in jesus name come and take us out for exercise in just a few minutes they were there after that they had water and exercise every day because she called in the name of jesus oh hallelujah hallelujah oh and just let me tell you this But the church in Ethiopia today numbers 45,000. And it was started in 1969 that Jesus' name message was first preached in Ethiopia. And today there's 45,000 baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Do you know why? The last service that they could have legally before the church went underground, Brother Freeman preached to them and he said, Listen, you think it's the end of everything because you can't go have church and somebody preach to you and somebody pray with you? Because if they, they warned them, if we find two of you or three of you with a Bible together, we'll put you all in jail and beat you as well. He said, listen, you can go out like the disciples did, one to one. You can still win souls. And when you win a soul one, pray with them. God will fill them with the Holy Ghost. Then you hunt the preacher, and he'll find a way to secretly baptize them in Jesus' name. And every one of them became soul winners. That is what we are not. We are not soul winners. Our churches in America are not growing at this rate because we come and sit down on a seat and say, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. And what the Lord wants us to do, if we're going to be a friend to him. We're going to tell everybody we meet. It's time to get that old excitement back again. You know how folks act when they first get the Holy Ghost? God give us a rebaptism that'll make us start acting like that again. That we don't care who they are or where they come from. We don't insult people, but we just bubble over with the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. And listen, when you begin to walk with him as a friend and get rid of all of that load that you're carrying that he never meant for you to carry. He never meant for you to carry it. He always planned to carry it all for you. Then you can just, the Holy Ghost can just flow from you to other people. Listen, uh, I lost my father last month. I believe God did a miracle for him. But uh, all of his wife, his second wife, he's been married to another woman for 40 years. All of his family was gathered in. One young man is an executive insurance salesman from Dallas, high position. He was bragging about the homes, not one home, but the homes, the property that he owns. And, and uh, he went to my sister-in-law. Jerry Eastridge, by the way, is my youngest brother. I'm the oldest child in the family, and he is the youngest. And, of course, we were all there. This is our daddy. He was 84 and a half years old. And this young, brilliant, sarcastic, atheistic insurance salesman got my brother, Jerry's wife, and said, what is it that's different about you three? Said, now, I heard your two other brothers say that they are Christians, but they don't look different to anybody else. But you, you, Nancy, that's Jerry's wife, and your sister. And your husband, there's a glow about you that we, we, I've never seen before. I don't know what it is. And then another unsaved member of the family came to Jerry. And he said, Jerry, I wish you'd let me in on something. He said, well, if I can, what is it? He said, what makes you and your wife and your sister shine? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I know what it is. I was going around there praising God all the time. Hallelujah. I cleaned out the spit tune or at least covered it up. And I emptied out the cigarette trays praise and praised God. Hallelujah. He said, give thanks for all things. I thanked him for the privilege of doing all the dirty work. I praised him and God put the shine there. Hallelujah. 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 If that had been a few years ago, I would not have been shining. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. When we became regional field supervisor in 1971, I was still worrying. And I was overwhelmed. You see, in Africa, we were handed the responsibility of 51 countries, each one with different languages and different customs and different kind of government. And uh, South Africa is only one of the 51 countries over there. And, and, And I was overwhelmed, and I was wondering, oh, my. We only have missionaries in six and we have little works in four other countries we've managed to get national preachers to go in and open up and how are we ever gonna reach this whole continent? And uh, we were at a little conference and I was kinda sleepy that day, had traveled so far, driven most of the night and I wasn't asleep but I was kinda drowsy and I heard my husband stand up behind that pulpit and say these words, we don't have time anymore to reach them by twos and threes or by the tens and twenties. It's too late even for the Lord to bring them in by the hundreds. Now he must begin to bring them in by the thousands. Well, he woke me up. I mean, I sat up straight and I thought, oh my goodness, what's wrong with him? Well, after church, I felt of his forehead to see if he had fever and asked him, did he bump his head real hard? I said, do you realize what you said? You kind of got carried away tonight, didn't you, honey? And he said, no, I've heard from my friend. I said, these people some of them are going to remember what you said, and I can just hear them coming up. We come back to America next year, and they'll come up and say, well, Brother and Sister Freeman, you got your thousands yet? I said, I'm just shuddering already. He said, don't worry. My friend's going to take care of it. And you know, within seven months, and it's a beautiful story, but I won't take time to tell you the whole one. I'm not going to keep you all night. Uh, God gave us a whole Trinity organization through one service, of 12,000 members, that was the first of the 1,000 that the Lord brought in. But that was only the start. Just a few months later, we got 4,000 out of the country of Zaire. That was in the country of Zambia, where the Don Ikers are now missionaries. And then the thing just snowballed. Brother and Sister Seminole have gone to Tanzania in answer to a couple of 1,000 that came in there. And understand, these are babies. They don't know anything. Oh, they're about to work us to death, trying to get them taught and learned and, and help to guide them. But they're so sweet and they're so hungry and God's put a love in their heart for the truth. I'm not saying that all of them is working out. You know, I, I knew God was going to do something. But, but I never dreamed that he'd do it the way he did. You see, I was wrong. I'd look at the big, beautiful churches and Bible schools that was already there. And I said, oh, we got over here too late. Just look at that big old Bible school and they're not teaching the truth. And look at that big old church and they're not teaching the truth. And I mourned around. And one day Brother Freeman rebuked me. He said, that's not right. Thank God that they have, they've taken the people as far as they know how to take them. They've taught many of them. They've taught them how to read and write. They've got clothes on them. Uh, they, they've civilized them. And, and now we're here to finish it up. But I didn't believe it. Oh, unbelieving Thomas. But Jesus has done it anyway. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And today, we don't actually know how many thousands God has brought in in the last eight years. But it is astronomical. I'd be afraid it would strain your credibility to even tell you some of those that I know about that God has done it's just one way uh, you, we, we had a saying a few years ago about the revival of the name well that's what's happening over there we are emptying out the big buildings and the big bible schools there's one bible school decided as a method against us that they would teach their people the era of baptism in jesus name and we got three of their preachers right away they come and said look we're hunting somebody to baptize us in jesus name while our teacher was standing up there saying it was of the devil we read it in the word of god and here we are us! hallelujah hallelujah brother don eichard baptized 105 people just a few months ago and among those were 27 trinity preachers baptized in the name of jesus Hallelujah. Brother Seminole baptized 17 Trinity preachers in one service in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is moving by his spirit. And that's my friend. Woo! That's my friend. Hallelujah. That's my friend. Thank you, David. And he's your friend, too. He wants to be your friend. And yet here we go, just like a dog chasing his tail. Oh, these kids of mine have just come to church. Quit trying to get them to come to church. Do you know the Lord told me never to invite my backslidden kids to go to church? And I don't. (laughs) Hallelujah. But as I told you about Sandra, when she finally got in, she said, Mother, it got it worried me all the time. You never said, come go to church. You never showed me anything in the scriptures. One day she come flying over to me with a Bible in her hand. And she said, now I would just like for you to explain this scripture to me. And I knew she was looking for a fight. I said, honey, I, I, I wish I had time, but there's some things I've just got to do right now. I'll take a rain check on that. So after she prayed through, I said, do you still want me to explain that scripture to you? <laughs> she was mixed up in spiritualism. And she wanted me to explain how that the witch could call up the spirit of Samuel. She just wanted something to, in, to encourage herself in, in her evil. A- and I knew it. And uh, I said, you still want me to explain about the witch? <laughs> and the spirit is saying, she says, no, mother, I was just trying to set a trap for you. I said, I knew it, honey. Hallelujah. My friend. Yeah, right. You see, there's so many traps that the devil sets for us. But your friend will warn you. He'll let you know. And he does such beautiful things for you. Oh, and just, you know, we, as I say, we travel up and down all across Africa. I... I preached in and traveled through nine countries on my way to the States this year. I got here the 18th of May. And uh, I got to Ghana, Ghana, and uh, they didn't have any water. The city of a population of a million, Accra, had no water for two weeks. And so Sister Lund, our missionary, brought me a quart fruit jar and said "Sister Freeman, this is your water ration. Be sure you save enough to brush your teeth. And they were having to, by hook and crook, get water wherever they could so we all, each one had a quarter They were i saw, right i've learned how to take a bath and a cup of water it can be done and uh, you might wish you had a little bit more it might be handier to have a little bit more but uh, i just thank god for a cup hallelujah exactly. and i was there five days and finally the last day i was there the water came on again they told me when i was leaving to be at the airport two hours early and i was and the plane was three hours late leaving but five hours wasn't enough time for them to get my suitcase on the plane when i got to liberia uh, my suitcase wasn't there and so brother Hall was, oh, he said, Sister Freeman, I feel so bad about your suitcase lost. He knew last year Brother Freeman lost one and never found it again. I did get mine again five days later. I said, oh, not to worry, Brother Hall. I'm too busy thanking God. He said, would you mind telling me what you're thanking God for? I said, I'm thanking God your wife is not a size eight. Because I'm going to be borrowing clothes. And if she's one of these little gals, I'd be in trouble. But she's a big gal like I am. So I'm just thanking God that she's not a size, not a size eight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, uh, I won't take time to tell you all that story, how we got the 80 miles home. We, we pushed some of it. That cheese for Christ cars had it. it was used by another missionary be sure you're involved in Sheaves for Christ. It's a very important program. I hope there'll be enough this year that Brother Hall can get a new car because he sure needs it. Sister Hall and the girls and I pushed him up four hills and finally we just, before we got to the top of the fourth, when we, we give out. And he said, now, Sister Freeman, what do you and Brother Freeman do when you get in a situation like this? I said, we do what we can. We praise the Lord and then wait for God to do something. And so we could push and so we did. And then we just got in the pickup and sat there praising the Lord and the Lord sent us some help. And we they had a curfew one o'clock in the morning and one minute before one we drove into the mission. Hallelujah. And when I was leaving, I got to the airport and my suitcase was there. I thanked the Lord. It was a little bit of a problem to get it. They decided it had marijuana in it because we didn't come after it. But the reason we didn't come after it was because that the refinery, the only one in the country was broke down and there was no gas available. We was praying all the time to get enough gas for them to take me 80 miles back to the airport when time for me to go. And thank the Lord. The Lord helped us to do that. And so they said, no, you can't have that suitcase, We think there's marijuana in it, and so we thank the Lord for that. And finally, three hours later, I got my suitcase, hallelujah, and was able just in time then to run to catch the plane to go to the next country. Uh, but all the way with my friend, it's exciting, it's a ball, uh, hallelujah. And, and no matter how uncomfortable and 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 how well, like when we flew into Ghana, it took a uh, took them 45 minutes to find any steps to put up to the plane to let us get off. You know, they're so organized <laughs> that they had the door open, but they couldn't find any steps in this big international airport to push up to the plane so we could get off. And then it took them an hour and a half to find a little a little thing to take out there and hook on and pull in the trolley that had our suitcases on it. But we could sit there, and, and I could stand there and praise the Lord along with Brother, uh, that was Brother Blake there. Uh, hallelujah, my friend, thank you. My friend, you know I need to stand right here, maybe just to give me more of a burden for these people that need the gospel. Hallelujah. I want to tell you something that happened a few years ago. I was, Brother Freeman has such a large responsibility. In South Africa now, is our turnaround point. He doesn't stay there very much, but I stay there some while he goes to visit other country because our budget won't stand for us to go together always. And so I was running errands to help him and talking to my friend. I never drive alone. I always have my friend with me. And as we drove, I was driving, running errands to help Brother Freeman. My friend said to me, we grieve not as others grieve no friends, I said. We don't grieve as others grieve. We have hope. And he said, even if there is no hope, I don't want you to grieve. I want you to trust my wisdom and my mercy. Well, I didn't understand that, but I said, friend, you help me to do that. That sounds like it might be hard to do, but I know I can do all things through you. That was Monday. Wednesday, that same week, the same identical conversation. I even answered the same way. And he said, you're to trust my wisdom and my mercy. I said, friend, you help me to do it. On Friday, with Brother and Sister Carpenter, we were on our way up to Rhodesia for a conference. A terrorist had disguised himself as a Pentecostal preacher and got in the church and wrecked havoc. And so we, didn't, we, we went to face a big mess. But I told them on the way, I said, I want you to pray for me, that the Lord will help me. It feels like this is a warning, and I don't want to fail God. When we got there, Sister Nick said, Sister Freeman, I'm sorry to give you bad news, but your brother died today. I said, which one? I have four brothers. She said, do you have one in Texas? I said, oh, yes. Oh, no. That's David, the alcoholic. We loved him. We tried to reach him. We failed. I don't know why the Lord wouldn't let me grieve over this brother, 12 years younger than I. I called him my baby when he was born. All of us had done everything that we could but failed. But the Lord said not to grieve. So I said, Sister Nix, could I just phone my family in New Mexico? And uh, she said, certainly, I said, now you understand I can't use a credit card. You'll have to tell me later how much it is, and I will pay you. Whenever the account comes through, she said, go right ahead. She was kind, but the operator wasn't. No way I can get a phone call through to New Mexico. You can just forget it, she said. I said, look, dear, this is about 1130, Friday night. This concerns the death of my brother. Please, won't you just promise me you'll try? She said, well, but I don't think it'll come through before Saturday night or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, but I will try. All right, then. So I put the phone right by the bed just in case. Two o'clock in the morning it rang one time. I picked it up and I heard a phone ringing and then I heard my brother Jerry in Tohatchi say hello. I said, oh Jerry, it's so good that this phone call got through. He said, sis, where was Alfredo? I said, I don't know. Thank God that you're on the line and I can talk to you and i said jerry i've just got to share something with you and i began to tell him how the lord had dealt with me and how that the lord had comforted me i felt his arm around me the minute sister told me the terrible news and the lord gave me so many beautiful things that i began to share with him he said you know sis there's something strange about this phone call he said i was out in the car we carried mother out pray for her he said this is hitting her so hard and we were ready to leave. And I said to my wife, the phone's ringing. And she said, you can't hear the phone out here. I said, the phone's ringing. He said, I come back, unlocked the door, and come and stood to the phone. And it wasn't ringing. And I said, Jesus, if this phone is supposed to ring, let it ring right now. He said, it rang one time. I picked it up, and there you are. I said, that's beautiful, honey. I said, listen. You say, you tried to phone me. Well, if this call comes through on your account, let me know. Because I want to pay it. And... Uh, let me talk to you some more. So we talked some more, and after a while, he said, "Sis, if you're going to pay for this call, it's a lot of money—three dollars a minute plus from Rhodesia." Said, and we've talked a long time, so I guess we better quit. And I said, "Yes, I guess so, honey." But it was so nice to talk to you; it meant so much. Well, early Saturday morning, we were out at the conference. God helped us with our problem, but we battled it all day long. 6:30 that afternoon, we came back to the house just to freshen up for the night service and get a little bite to eat. And I walked by the phone and it rang. I picked it up and the operator said, "Mrs. Freeman, I'm ready to try on your phone call to New Mexico." I said, "Ma'am, I've already talked to New Mexico." She said, "You certainly have not. There's no record in my books of a phone call." I said, "Well, ma'am, I, you mean there's no record from this number or to this number either?" Uh, no record of a phone call coming in or going. She said there is no record whatsoever of any phone call. We keep a record of all in, coming and out, going overseas calls, and there is no record. I said, ma'am, would you do just one more thing for me, please? Would you just cancel the call because it's too late. Everyone's gone to the funeral. There's nobody there. But let me tell you I appreciate from the bottom of my heart that you were willing to try. Well, hung up until this day. This happened in 1975. And to this day no one has ever been charged for that phone call. It never came on Sister Nix's account. It did not come on my brother Jerry's account. Hmm. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I was trying to do what he said do. He told me not to grieve. And I did my best to do what he said do. And so he just said to the angels, She's being a good girl, plugging the wires course now if I'd only known heaven was paying for the call (laughs) 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 I'd have really had me a time talking but (laughs) I'd had him call everybody in and out of the car and I'd have talked to everybody but working against time but my friend it's so precious and so sweet to walk with him he knows all about your weakness he knows all about your failures he knows where you've disappointed him But he still wants to be a friend to you. But the next move is yours. He's made the last move. He went all the way to Calvary. He paid an awful price hanging between heaven and earth to make you his friend. Not just to give you a little something to just help you to drag through life. Just kind of come day, go day, good Lord, sin Sunday. But he came and died to make you his friend. When he first spoke to me I said, Jesus, I'm not worthy to be your friend. I've failed you too many times. I know how what I was, and I know where even since I've served you, I know how many times I have failed you, disappointed you. I'm not worthy to be your friend. He said, your unworthiness has got nothing to do with it. He said, I paid that awful price for you to be my friend. If you'll just step up here and hold my hand and let us walk together. I want us to walk together as friends. <laughs> Let me tell you what he's done for me. Every morning, after every day that I've walked with him as a friend, I wake up with a song bubbling in my heart. You've had that sometimes. Well, it's every day. And if it's not there, I start going back and I find a word I shouldn't have spoken. Something I shouldn't have done. Not big things. I've learned to say forgive me to my husband to my co-workers, to everybody that I'm around, I'm quick to turn around and say forgive me because keeping this friendship intact is the most important thing in the world. You are my friend if you do whatsoever I command you. And if you've been hanging back and thinking the price was too much to pay, oh, friend, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't understand. You don't realize what's waiting for you when you leave the world behind (laughs) turn loose of everything and just walk hand in hand with my friend he's beautiful he's exquisite. there's no words to describe him and there was a lot more I wanted to say but I just feel like that the Lord wants you to make a step tonight you know who you are that needs to make a move you know what your life is You know how much joy is missing and how much peace and how long it's been since you were close enough to touch him. But if you want tonight to step up and take his hand, I'd like for you to meet me up here at this altar. Let's don't kneel, let's stand. And unless you feel weak and then you'd better sit down or kneel down. But I want you to close your eyes when you get up here and start off by saying, my friend, (laughs) dearest friend don't misunderstand me he's lord of lords and king of kings and he is the almighty God but he's the one that said I've called you friend (laughs) and he wants you to walk with him as a friend but remember if you take this step you can't worry anymore you can't grieve anymore you can't pout anymore you can't be bitter anymore you can't get an angry feeling anymore you can't be impatient anymore. Whatever you do, you have to turn around quickly and say, forgive me. I've even said it to a child. Forgive me. Grandma talked too sharp to you, honey. Forgive me. I didn't want to do that because it's so important. I've got to keep holding his hand. I've got to keep walking with him as a friend. Can we stand together? Remember now when you come. You don't say Lord. You don't say Savior. He is both Lord and Savior. You don't say king, but you start off. My friend, I want to walk with you as a friend. And in his nail-scarred hands tonight, you put your burden, you put your load, you put your sickness, you put your weakness, you put everything that's worrying you and troubling you in his hands, and you're going to leave it there. You walk out of this church tonight free as a bird, a light as air, come. Hallelujah. If you want to walk with him as a friend. My friend, precious friend, dearest of all friends, forgive me that I've tried to carry the load in my own strength. Forgive me that I've tried to walk this holy way in my strength. Oh. Thank you, my friend, because you're listening. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord. Thank you for your love to us. Thank you because you are here.